0: Today, we will look backwards a little bit, and we'll, we'll just thank God for what he's done in our church. Next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we're having our ground dedication ceremony, and we'll look forward for the next three years, and we'll begin to unpack the vision of what we believe God has called us to do, but I can't tell you how happy I am to look backwards today and say, thank you, God, to look forward and to say, help us, God, but to look inward this morning and to say, okay, God, what, what do you want me to hear? And today in this service, we looked backwards, yes, we we even had a video. And we'll look forward next week. But today I want to look inward. Today my goal for you is not that you hear a little bit about where we are as a church three years in or where we're going to be three years from now. Today my prayer for you is that by the time you stand up from your seat and you go get in your car, that you will have looked inward and you will really understand where you are spiritually and where Jesus wants you to go and how to get there. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. Because today in our series that we're continuing called Domino, Falling into One, it's a series on basically becoming a disciple and making a disciple. We see Jesus take on discipleship in Mark chapter 8, and here's what we're going to learn. When you look at all that's happened in our church, it's happened because people have engaged spiritually here. It's happened because people have served, and they were serving this morning, and they'll serve this afternoon and they'll serve again next week and on and on and on. It's happened because people have given and they've given so sacrificially. Some have given for the first time ever and some have given more than they've ever given. It's happened because people have sacrificed and they've put a a little sweat and a little tears and a little elbow grease behind what we're doing. It's happened because people in this church have paid the great price of following Jesus wholeheartedly. And that has brought us to where we are, but it's gonna take a whole lot more people following Jesus and paying the price wholeheartedly to get to where I believe God wants us to go. And this is where Jesus ultimately wants us to end up. Now, that's not where everyone in the room is spiritually. We know that there are people in the room today, like there are every Sunday, who may have not even begun your spiritual journey yet. And my hope is that today, as we study a little bit about Jesus and what he said, that you'll learn more today about Christianity than you've ever understood before. And there are some of you who can't go any faster than you're going spiritually. You just need God to give you strength to keep doing what you're doing. But there's a crowd in between who has kind of figured out the Jesus thing without the serving Jesus wholeheartedly thing that we need to get moving. So as we talk today and we look at why people follow Jesus, I want to give you one of Jesus' thoughts on following him, and then I want to unpack it a little bit for us today and answer the question, why do people follow Jesus? In Mark chapter 8, in verses 34 through 38, if you don't have a Bible today, our ushers, by the way, are going to go down the, bi- uh, down the aisles. Um, we hand out Bibles every Sunday morning. If you don't have one, we'd love to put one in your hands so that you can follow along. Every Sunday, we'll open God's Word. We'll read from it. This will be our primary source text. Every Sunday, we believe that this teaches us about the things of God. If you don't have a Bible, write your name in this one and keep it. If you do have a Bible, bring it back with you next week or pull it up on your phone or your tablet. But in Mark chapter 8, here's what Mark says that Jesus told his disciples in the course of history and his teaching them. Mark eight thirty four says, Then he, he is Jesus, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul?" Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me. I want to teach you a little something about following me today. Why do people follow Jesus? As a church, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians that make a difference in the world. It's our goal to help people follow Jesus. It's our goal to help you follow Jesus more passionately, or if you're passionately following Jesus, to make a difference so other people will follow Jesus. But why do people follow Jesus? Let's unpack that for a little bit from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We realize... Most people's first reaction to Jesus, why they follow him, is a destination reaction, if you're, if you're taking notes today. Most people follow Jesus for the destination they desire to have, not just in their life, but at the end of their life. In Luke 18, 18, we meet a man in scripture It says a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Many of us began our following of Jesus. Many of us began our spiritual journey with this question, how do I get to heaven? We sat in some Billy Graham crusade style somewhere or in some church service where a preacher got up, he talked about heaven, he talked about hell, he really talked about destination, and he said, if you want to go to heaven, here's how you get there. Who wants to go? And we said, we said I do. The majority of people, even in scripture, began their spiritual journey as a journey of Destination. And if you look at verse 34, this crowd is no different. Look at verse 34. It says, then he called the crowd, circle the word crowd, because we know who these people are and we see a particular crowd in Mark chapter eight that we also see sitting in the room today. In Mark chapter eight, we see a crowd of people who begin to assemble around Jesus because of what he could give them, because of what they needed from him. In the early part of Mark chapter eight, we see a bunch of hungry people. We're told there were 4,000 of them. And Jesus fed them. And they followed Jesus. They, they had a destination. Their destination was, was having their hunger quenched, and Jesus could help them meet that. So they followed Jesus because he gave them food. A little further in Mark chapter 8, we see people who are sick and who are diseased. And their friends brought them to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, can can you help these people? And we see a lot of people in Mark chapter 8 in the crowd who were following Jesus because of the destination they needed to arrive at. It was need-based followership. And here's what you need to understand today. Jesus is okay with this as a first step. We don't read in, Ma- in Mark chapter 8 that when the 4,000 came to him and said, we're hungry, that Jesus said, well, you you first have to do all these things, and then I'll meet your needs, He didn't say you first have to think this way and then I'll give you something to eat or you have to vote this way or dress this way or talk this way or quit smoking that. He just said you have a need, I'll I'll meet your need. When the people who were brought to him who were sick, Jesus didn't have a long dialogue with them about why they were sick or how they got sick or whether they had enough faith. Jesus saw their need and he met their need and you need to understand there are people in the room today who have spiritual needs and Jesus wants to meet your spiritual needs. And if you come to Jesus for a destination need, Jesus, I'm here, I need to be here, Jesus welcomes you with open arm if that's your first step. And I don't know what your needs are. I know in this room, I mean, I just know from knowing people, I know in this room there's some marriage needs. I know in this room there's some parenting needs. I know in this room there's some finance needs. I know in this room there's some employment needs. I know in this room that there are some health needs. I know in this room that there are some relational needs. And maybe God brought you to church today to say your your next step spiritually is to tell Jesus what your needs are and to bring those to him and to ask him to meet those. Because we see in this crowd people who need something from Jesus. And as long as they need something, they'll follow him. And guess what? He meets those needs. He's okay with that being our first step of followership, Jesus, I, I need something from you. Jesus actually says, come to me, all you who are weary and, and heavy burdened. Okay. Anyone who's got any big needs, come on, I'll help you, says. Jesus is, is a need-based savior. And we see a lot of people begin following Jesus because of the destination that they want to get to. But eventually those needs get met. And there's got to be more of a reason to follow Jesus than what, he, what you need in the immediate term of your life. And that's where we see number two, a lot of people follow Jesus because of the direction that he offers them. And I want to say this is another great reason to follow Jesus, but this is a step above a destination need. As a matter of fact, in John chapter six, we meet another crowd of people who's hungry. Jesus feeds them. And the next day they come to Jesus and all their needs are met. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're not tired. He has met all their destination needs. And he begins to give them some spiritual direction. And they said, listen, we didn't sign up for you to tell us what to do. We just needed you to meet our needs. And now that our needs are met, like, we don't really need anything else from you. And we see in John chapter 6 that a lot of people who'd been flocking to Jesus to meet their needs, once they had their needs met, and he began to try to help them learn how to live their life, they they didn't want any part of Jesus telling them what to do. But not everyone was like that. In John chapter 6, after everyone had left, Jesus looked at the disciples. He said, you all going to leave too? You're not hungry. Your bellies are full. Life is good. Peter, your mother in laws healed. Everything's good. Like, are you all going to leave now too that your needs are met? And look what Peter says in John 6, 68. It says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Simon Peter is basically saying, listen, we don't need anything right now, but we believe Your teaching is going to give us answers for everything we need for like the rest of our life. And there are a lot of people in this room and there are a lot of people on planet earth who follow Jesus because we truly believe that his teaching adds tremendous value to the direction of our life. And before we make decisions, we say, what what does the Bible say? And before we make hard choices, we call a Christian friend and say, hey, what spiritual wisdom would you have? And there was a generation that wore little bracelets that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because we believe Jesus offered tremendous insight for what we needed. And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 8, we see a particular crowd, but in Mark chapter 8, we see a particular question. And this question really triggers everything that you need to know in order to follow Jesus well. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 27. After Jesus had fed everyone, need-based ministry. After Jesus had healed everyone, need-based ministry. Jesus gets to Mark 8, 27. And it said, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? I want you to stop right there and think about that for a minute. Because we live in a world that often says Jesus doesn't care what people think about him. Jesus doesn't care what people say about him. You know, you meet Christian people and say, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. Yet here's Jesus hanging out with his friends. He says, what are people saying about me? Now, this is not a question to ask lightly. Can you imagine if you went out to lunch today with some of your friends from church that hung out with some other people from church at knew you, and you said, guys, I just, I just want to know, what's everyone saying behind my back? Like a lot of us would need a church service after that conversation to either keep from killing someone or perhaps being discouraged for the rest of our life. But here's Jesus with the boldness to say, what are, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And the, answer, the answers given to him are amazing. One of the disciples spoke up and they said, they say you're kind of like Elijah which means you, you meet needs, you do, you do miracles. There's a lot of people who, when they talk about Jesus, they talk about the needs that Jesus has met from. Another one of the disciples spoke up, and they said, a lot of people say you're one of the prophets, which means, like, your teaching is really good, and they want to follow your teaching. And Jesus responded, and he said, but who do, who do you think I am? And the apostle Peter spoke up, and he said a verse that you saw on our video. He said, like, we believe you're the Messiah, like, we believe you're everything. We believe... You're worth giving our entire lives to. And Jesus said, man, you didn't learn that on your own, but God told you that. And on that thought that Jesus is everything, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to me. You can only follow Jesus to the degree that you know who he is. And if Jesus for you just meets your needs, you can only follow Jesus as long as you have needs. And you will only follow Jesus as long as you have needs. If you only know Jesus as someone who gives direction, you'll follow Jesus as long as you need direction. But when you you find out you've got it all figured out or you don't need any more direction, you won't follow Jesus. And you'll kind of flip back and forth. You'll get away from Jesus, and then when you need him, you'll come back. And then you'll get away from Jesus, and when you need him, you'll come back. And you'll flip in and out of the Word. You won't read the Bible every day consistently, but when you need some information, you'll get in the Word for a little bit. And then when you get that information, you'll get out of the Word for a little bit. And then when you need some information, so these thoughts, this destination Christianity, this direction Christianity only take us so far. But The Apostle Peter says, you're everything. You are my Savior, and you are who I want to follow with anything and everything in my life. We're getting ready on October 12th of next month to start what I believe will be the most important series that I ever preach at our church for the reason that you can only follow Jesus to the degree that you know him. We're doing a series called, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Because there's a lot of Jesus' being discussed in our community. Just like there were in Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, what do you think about me? And everyone has kind of a different thought about Jesus. And if you can only follow Jesus to the degree that you know him, you better know who Jesus is is based on what jesus wants you to know so this conversation in the book of john evolved into seven statements that jesus said you need to know about me they're called the seven i am statements i am this 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 so for seven weeks we're going to look at who the real jesus is because when we find out who the real jesus is we can follow jesus well but this isn't really a crowd that needs to learn these first two points most of us agree and have stepped through seasons of following jesus because we want to go to heaven of following Jesus because we believe that Jesus' plan for our life is a good one. But eventually, destination and direction lead to number three, the thought of today's message. It leads to a moment of decision. And at some point, everyone gets to this point where they decide if they're going to follow Jesus for who he is or if they're going to follow Jesus for what he can do and what he teaches. At some point in your spiritual journey, if you're not here yet, you've got to make the decision whether you're going to follow Jesus because of who he is or because of what you need from him or what you feel like he can give to you through teaching. And our church is kind of at this step. This is a big decision point where you say, I'm just going to be all in for Jesus because of who he is. And regardless of how that impacts me, I'm going to be all in for Jesus. You know, we see a particular crowd in Mark 8. We see a particular question in Mark 8. But we see a particular quote in Mark 8 that I'll be honest with you is kind of like a a punch in the gut spiritually. Because in Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus gives us something that is anything but the fluff of the gospel. It's anything but the promise of heaven. It's anything but kind of the message inside a fortune cookie that will give you a little direction for your life. Jesus kind of gives us a big old confrontational quote. In Mark chapter 8 and he says this then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples And he said whoever wants to be my disciple Must deny themselves And take up their cross And follow me For whoever wants to save their life will lose it But whoever loses their life for me And for the gospel will save it Now this is jesus strongest statement to his followers yet You can go back and read everything he said to anyone who he ever had a conversation with from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John up to this point in his ministry. And Jesus has really just turned up the commitment level and he's not only asked, but he's demanded the highest level of commitment that he had ever called his disciples to. But he didn't start here. And some of you are brand new spiritually and and you shouldn't start here. Because this is not where Jesus started with this crowd and with these group of disciples. If you study Jesus' life, Jesus, we have biographical history of three years in Jesus' life. Three years that he did ministry. We know it was three years because of the Jewish feast that entered into the story of Jesus that as an adult he would have taken part of. So we know for three years Jesus did ministry. And these three years were done in different ministry stages, or what we would call different ministry seasons. And these seasons were all marked by different statements of spiritual commitment that Jesus asked for. And I want you to see and hear maybe where your spiritual commitment lies today. Because in the first year of Jesus' ministry, his real statement of commitment to his disciples was come and see. Come and see. It was a destination invitation. Early in the book of John, we see Jesus walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we see that two disciples were with Jesus. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I don't know about you. I I do not see myself as the best disciple. I see myself, if I was a disciple at all, I would have been like number 12 on the roster of 12. But they ask a question that I think I would have asked just being shaped the way I am. Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me. And one of them, I don't know which one, but it would have been the one I'd been best friends with. Jesus said, come and follow me. And he said, where? Like, Is that not a great question? Come and follow me. Well, where are you going? Not a lot of blind faith involved here yet. Where are you going? And Jesus said, come and see. That was his invitation. Come and see. Just come come and experience life with me. See what you hear. See what happens. And then you can decide how much you want to be engaged. But come and see. You know, when we first started our church, we kind of started our church as a come-and-see church. And we talked about Jesus' plan for your life and for your marriage, for your parenting, for your finances. We just kind of said, come and see what the Jesus thing is all about. And we had a lot of people who liked what they saw and decided to move from come-and-see destination to number two. In year two, Jesus began to use the phrase more often, come-and-follow. Come and follow. Come and see his destination. Just come check out what's going on. See what life with Jesus is like. Come and follow is you've seen what life with Jesus is like. Now I need you to get engaged. In the second year of his ministry, Jesus would meet a man who saw what Jesus' ministry was like. And he said, I want to follow you, but I got a lot of other things going on in my life. And Jesus didn't say, well, just call me when you're done. Jesus said, if that's how you want to follow after everything in your life is done, that's not, you probably shouldn't follow. And he said, come and follow. And it wasn't a thought of just check it out. It was a thought of get engaged, get on mission. And then in the third year of his ministry, marked by Mark 8, 34 and 35, we see Jesus give the statement that basically says, come and die. It's an invitation of decision, not of destination, not of direction, but of decision. Come and die. Say, where did Jesus say die? When he said, lose your life, that, that means die. Jesus said, it's time now for a transaction to take place. You've seen with your eyes. You've experienced transformation as a follower. But now it's time for a transaction. I want you to trade your life that you've got planned for you for my life that I've got planned for you. But you can't have both. It's a transaction. You give me yours and I'll give you mine you got to lose your life in order to gain the one that I want to give you. Now, Jesus' point of asking his disciples in Mark 8 to come and die was not physical death. His point was spiritual life. As a matter of fact, many disciples longed for spiritual death. The apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 said, I would much rather die and go be with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't want me to die. Jesus wants me to live so that can mean more ministry for you. So Jesus is not a sadist that wants people to give up Their life, he doesn't want physical death, he just wants spiritual life. But a transaction has to take place. And some of you are in the come and see phase of life, and you're just beginning to see that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus, and you're thinking, I want that. Jesus' statement to you would be, then come follow me, and learn what it takes. And many of us have lived in the come follow stage for a long time. And we try to follow Jesus well, but we've not yet crossed over into come and die. We've not yet said, Jesus, all of me and my plans for my life, for you and your plans for my life. But this is where Jesus is heading if we're walking with him. What was spiritual life? Well, Jesus' statement first was a statement of identity. Come and die is a statement of identity. Spiritual life, losing your life so that you might gain Jesus' life is a statement of identity. What does that mean? Jesus wants it to be more important in your life how you represent Him than how you represent you, which will change the way you do things. Jesus wants your reactions to give people a picture of Him, not you. Jesus wants your actions to give people a picture of Him, not you. Jesus wants your habits To give people a picture of him, not you. Jesus wants your finances to give people a picture of him, not you. Jesus wants your love and your service and your volunteer time to give people a picture of him, not you. Jesus wants you to make every decision based on the identity that he wants people to see Jesus in you, not you in you. And boy, when we make those decisions, we act different. We react different. Everything in our life is different when we realize that I have to do this through the lens of people seeing Jesus, not me. So losing our life is a statement of identity. Losing our life, secondly, is a statement of pursuit. Jesus wants you to schedule your life, and he wants you to schedule your family's life around getting to know him. Which, again, might change everything in your life. You see, Jesus wants you to take your week and he wants you to start your weekly calendar with what do I need to do this week to pursue Jesus. Jesus wants you to take your children's schedules and he wants you to start your children's calendar for the month of October as we cross into that with what pursuits they need to know Jesus. Jesus wants you to arrange your day when you get up, when you go to bed and what you do in between on what will help you pursue Jesus more. He wants you to tune your radio to what you will, will help you know Jesus more. And he wants you to watch on TV and on the big screen what will help you know Jesus more. And he wants you to engage in groups and conversations and relationships with what will help you know Jesus more. You see, to lose your life, this transaction of my life for your life is a statement of pursuit. Jesus said if you do this, the way you do things and prioritize things in life will look radically different if you will come and die for me. Jesus' statement, thirdly, it is a statement of direction, which is great because in John chapter 14, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He asked them to follow with all their life. And I love Thomas. Thomas would have been one of my best friends and he'd probably been one of my accountability partners as a disciples because when Jesus said, here's what I want you to do, Thomas said, I don't know how to do that. Like I was the kid, my teachers always used to tell my parents, your son asks more questions than anyone who has ever been in my classroom because I always needed direction. Well, how do I do that? Well, how, how do I do that? I pass that trade on to my daughter now, whose teachers every year have told us that she asks more questions than anyone who's ever been in their class. She gets that from me. But I was Thomas. Jesus said, I want, you to, I want to have a transaction where you trade your life for mine. And Thomas says, I don't really know how to do that. Tell me exactly how to do that. And Jesus said, I I will. And he gave him great direction. And Jesus' statement was also a statement of destination. Here's the cool thing. You don't have to lose your direction and your destination because you make the decision. The decision actually kind of fast forwards the direction that Jesus wants you to go and the destination. He wants to take you to, he said in John chapter 14, where I'm going, you can come. And Thomas, again, thank you, Thomas, for being the guy who asked questions. So, well, like, how, how how do we get there? They told John, Thomas, follow me. And he said, well, how do I do that? Well, we're going to go to heaven. Well, how, how, do we, how do we get there? Thomas was the guy who said, if there's going to be a transaction, I need to know the answers. And Jesus said, I'll give you the answer, answers. But this statement of transaction demanded decision. It demanded decision. In Mark chapter 8, we meet a crowd who was not yet ready to make this decision. We meet at a crowd, we meet a crowd that want to live their way on their terms but with all the blessings of Jesus. And there's a lot of people in the church today who live in this crowd. They want to live life their way on their terms but with all the blessings of Jesus. So Christian, how do, how do you know that? Look at your habits. Figure out if you're living life your way or Jesus' way. Look at your calendar. Figure out if you're living life your way or Jesus' way. Look at your look at the things you do every day. Look at your bank account. Look at your volunteer hours. There's a lot of people who want to live life their way on their terms, but they want all the blessings of Jesus. The crowd in Mark chapter 8, they wanted heaven. They wanted all Jesus advice. But he knew they had not yet made the decision to follow him completely. And this was a problem for Jesus at this stage in his ministry. Because here's the reality. When you have a spiritual want to, without a spiritual will to, your spiritual commitment won't do. And this actually applies, believe it or not, to every area of your life. When you have a want to without a will to, that won't do. You got a son who wants to be great in sports but he has no desire to get out and practice. That's not going to do. You got a daughter who wants to be valedictorian of her class, but she won't do her homework. That won't do. You as a businessman, you want to step out and go to the next level of your business, but you're not willing to sacrifice what you currently have to gain what you don't yet have. That won't do. You got a desire to lose weight this year without a desire to get on a diet and work out. That won't do. You see how this works when you got a want to without a will to that won't do. Jesus says, there are a lot of people with a lot of spiritual want, with very little spiritual will, and that won't do. That's what he's saying in Mark chapter 8. And the Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I love what Paul says. He said, Paul, Paul said to Timothy, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first To receive a share of the crops, and then he said this in verse 7 reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord's gonna give you insight into this. Here's what he's saying think about this. Think about this. If you're a soldier, you wanna go into battle with someone else who wants to be a soldier, but they're not willing to go through basic training, that won't do. If you're an athlete, you wanna train and go play a game on Friday night with a bunch of guys who are not willing to practice, that won't do. If you're a farmer, You really think you're going to sow and reap if you won't work hard at the right seasons to work hard? See, there's a lot of people that have spiritual want to without spiritual will to. And you need to realize spiritually that won't do. And not everyone in this room needs to hear that level of spiritual commitment. But many do. Because you've been sitting in year two for a long time. Just kind of following. On October 5th, I'm going to talk about disciples who follow at a distance. Because we see some of those the night Jesus was arrested. There are some followers in our church and in every church who are following at a distance. And you need to realize that won't do for what you want for Jesus. And the cool thing about Jesus is he, he does not hide this fact. It's, it's right here in black and white in God's word what he expects. I, I had to book a rental car this week. Danielle and I are going on a trip next month. And I booked the rental car and right as I was getting ready to push like finish or complete whatever it was, I realized that there were like four boxes checked that signed me up for like a thousand emails and 300 discounts and, you know, an insurance policy of $4,000. It was like all these hidden things that they had pre-checked all the boxes for. Yes, I want to receive every email that you'll ever send. And, you know, sh- sure, charge me extra stuff if you need to. And I had to go through. And I had to unclick all the hidden stuff. Have you ever bought something and not even been able to read the fine print of terms and conditions? Or have you ever heard the commercials where the guy starts talking real fast at the end of the commercials? Like, Jesus does not give this level of commitment in the fine print terms and conditions. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to go to heaven, follow me. Follow me. And then in a couple of years, you have to lose your life. You know, and all rights reserved. It's like, well, hang on. What did he, what did he just say there? Jesus didn't say, Here, here's how you have a relationship with me. And I'm just going to pre-check all the boxes about serving and reading and giving and helping and commitment and sacrifice. Just don't look at those. Just press complete. It's transactions. No, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you up front. So you can decide. Because a destination Christianity is one thing direction Christianity is another thing. But decision Christianity, where the Apostle Peter says, I I want to give you everything. And everything else will revolve around my identity with you, my pursuit of you, the direction you're telling me to go and the destination that I want to end up. Jesus gives us these terms and conditions up front. And then he says, choose wisely. In Luke 14, 28 through 32, he puts it this way. So if you're going to make a decision for Jesus, think about it this way. Suppose if one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you've got enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it is going to ridicule you, saying this person began to build but they weren't able to finish. Or suppose a king's about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with with 20,000? And if he's not able, he's going to send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and, and he'll ask for terms of peace. Jesus said, you, you need to, we call this in the church, well, you need to count the cost. You need to try to decide whether it's worth it. That's the question today is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus with everything we have? Well, we have to define the it of the decision. Because the it of the decision in Luke chapter 14 is beyond the destination. Is heaven worth it? Sure it is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Is Jesus' direction and plans for our life worth it? Well, sure it is. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying a decision to put everything into life with Jesus is based on the impact you can have for Jesus. Luke chapter 14 rolls into Luke chapter 15. And we see the it that Jesus is talking about. And in Luke chapter 15, we read three stories about things that are lost. We read about a shepherd who loses a sheep. And even though he has 99, he's willing to trade his life with 99 to go after the one. He's willing for a transaction to see something lost be found. And then we read a story about a woman who's engaged and in those days to be engaged instead of giving a ring you give a necklace with ten coins and she lost one of the coins on her engagement necklace which would symbolize to everyone that the engagement had been broken off and it said when she lost that one coin she stopped everything in her life and a transaction took place. She stopped her life to find the thing that was lost to make sure that this thing could be in its proper place. And then we read about a dad who had two sons and one of them decided to go off and kind of live life his own way. We know him in Scripture as the prodigal son. And we see a father who had a transaction. He traded everything in his life for a different life that might see something that was lost come home. You see, it, is it worth it? In the context of Luke 14, this decision, Jesus is asking the question, is the decision to give your life fully to me He's saying, what's the value of seeing people in your life who are far from God find Jesus? Jesus is saying, if you will give your life fully to me, if you will have transactional faith where you say, here's my life, you take mine, you might just see lost things, lost people in your life who are far from God find life in Jesus. And we've seen that happen a lot at our church. 561 people far from God, have made spiritual decisions at our church in the last three years. And as a pastor, I lay awake at night, and you know what You know what I think as a pastor? 561 people far from God have made a decision to draw closer to God at our church the last three years. You know what I sit awake and think? Where, where are all of them? That's what I, I very honestly, that's where I think. Where, where are all of them? Because I feel like if we don't connect with them deeply as a church, maybe they won't make it. Because I just you know wonder some of them we put a lot of time and energy into and then they just disappear. Because I just wonder at some points like man I think our church would be bigger and have more opportunity for influence and impact if these people would stay. So I wonder where are they and I feel like God spoke to me this week. And he said Christian they're everywhere. Like, they're everywhere. Some of them live in other states. Some of them go to other churches. They're, they're everywhere. And Christian I did not ask you to attach people to journey. Ask you to start a church that would attach people. To Jesus. And you've got to be willing to to have the transaction of having a church that exists for Jesus, not journey. I need you to give your goal for the church to me for my goal for the church. And I just need you, you guys, to keep doing your best to reach people who are far from God. And as I was wrestling through this spiritual, I was driving down the highway and I drove by a car dealership. I saw some salesmen out there talking. And it was like God spoke to me that Christians, some of these 561 people, they're they're like people who have driven into a dealership and they've driven in in an old beat down battered car that they left at that dealership and they drove away in a new one. There are some people in your church who have come and they left their old life with you and they started a new life someplace else. But the important thing is there was a transaction and their old life is over and their new life has begun and it really doesn't matter where they're driving around now. But some people have found new life. And then there are some people, as I looked at this car dealership, there's some people who, like, they just needed your church as a service station. There's some things in their car that were broken down or that were busted or that needed tuned up or need repair. And they came to your church for a season because they had to get these little kinks worked out. But their intention was never to stay, and my intention for them was never to stay. But to get tuned up, to get fixed to get ready to go back into the world and live life. There are other people, they just kind of pass through your church like it was a car wash. They came in filthy spiritually. The habits they kept, the practices and attitudes and addictions they had, the people that they ran with, the things they said, they were filthy spiritually. And Christian, your church was used to clean them up a little bit and send them back off. There's some people who have just used the church kind of like a, kind of like a gas station. They came in empty. And your church, and the ministry of your church, and your people and your small groups, that allowed them to fill up spiritually and to go. But there are some people who have used your church kind of like as, as a garage. And they've parked there. And they park there because they believe every week they need a little tune-up. And this is where they get it. They've parked there because they believe every week as they live life, they collect some bugs on the windshield of their spiritual life. And every week they need to be cleaned off a little more. They park there because every week they use some spiritual fuel. And every week they need to be filled up a little bit more. But Christian, your church has been kind of more of a garage to them than a sales lot or a car wash or a service station. But the reality is all those things accomplish the gospel. So get ready to build a bigger garage and a bigger car wash and a bigger service station and some more gas pumps because people are going to keep coming in and out. Some are going to stay. Some are going to connect and go. But your job is to connect them to Jesus, not journey. I don't know how long you've been here or how long you'll stay here. But I know God has brought you here to connect to Jesus in a way that you've not connected to him yet. And maybe you're in the come and see phase of life. You grew up in a church. You grew up in a Christian school or a parochial school. You've kind of watched on the periphery of who God is, but you've never followed him, and your step today is to follow Jesus. Maybe today you've made a decision at some point in your life to follow Jesus, but you do it very loosely, and you've never had a transactional faith. And as we face the next three years together, I want you to know my goal as a pastor is going to be to drive you towards a come and die type of Christianity that replaces your life with Jesus' life for you. I'm going to challenge you to change your identity so everyone who knows you will know who Jesus is. I'm going to challenge you to change your pursuits so that Jesus becomes first in every area of your life and everything else comes second. I'm going to challenge you to look for Jesus' direction in every area of your life and to simply just do what he tells you to do. And I'm going to challenge you to fix your eyes on your heavenly home so much that you want everyone in your life to have that heavenly home as their heavenly home as well. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, If you're going to follow me, I want you to do it this way. What step do you need to take to do it Jesus' way today? Let's pray together.